so much once again, Ajahn Bird, for like, your participation with us today. So let's start with the first question. As we talked about that earlier in terms of like the COVID pandemic, how do we look at this situation in terms of opportunity and challenges in the widespread of COVID-19? And could you please provide us in terms of the overview of this issue? And especially like you are working in the field of like university as a lecturer, as a university professor. What is your view on, the is- on this issue? Okay, so the COVID-19 has actually had a lot of impact across the globe, not just Thailand and not just one particular area. We've seen clearly that global economy in the year 2020 and also uh, 2021 has gone to recession. And perhaps it's going to be picked up slightly more in 2021. But 2020 was a very rough year in terms of you know, uh, economic growth and in terms of uh, employment. We've seen that many people actually uh, lost their jobs. You know, several other hundreds or millions of people have to work at home or work from home. So things have changed a lot, uh, not only in terms of economic, but in terms of lifestyle and the way people behave in their social life and also, you know, in their behavior. We've seen that the digital activities have been more widespread at home video conference, you know, online meetings and some other forms of digital services and also digital products have come to be, you know, more popular. In the academic sector or in education, I think we've been hit by this this COVID-19 pandemic quite a lot. I have actually looked at the World Economic Forum website and it showed that more than billions of students have to study at home due to the school and university's closures. So uh, last year, if you still recall, you know, many schools and universities in several countries, hundreds of countries have been closed. So students cannot go to the class, students cannot travel to uh, schools or university. So what happened is that they had to uh, stay home, do the online learning and, uh, you know, teachers, professors, They have to do the online teaching. So actually, the COVID-19 has impact on every single sector in the economy and across the globe, regardless of uh, rich or poor countries. You've seen uh, rich countries, European countries uh, in America, they've also been hit hard in Asia, in developing countries, we've been hit hard as well. So actually, it's quite a, you know, a big phenomenon that affects people's life and also well-being. And if we if we want to address uh, this issue in terms of uh, what's happening uh, to education industry, education sector, in terms of opportunities and in terms of perhaps challenges that you're going to address later on, I think there are several challenges and opportunities. Uh, one thing that have been actually stated in so many medias across the globe is about the education inequalities. Because if you, if you look at the fact that when students cannot go to schools or universities due to uh, the school closures, they have to stay at home, as I mentioned earlier, do the online learning, online teaching, whatsoever. And the thing is, if the students cannot afford or, or get access to internet or equipment or anything that can connect them and to the online learning or they don't have enough facilities or infrastructures, that's going to be a problem. So maybe students who are well equipped and well facilitated by you know equipment and infrastructure that can get perhaps better education during the COVID-19. And those students who don't have access to internet and those infrastructure or facilities, they may 
be, you know, left out. And even in the same country, for example, in Thailand, we may have to accept some fact that we have some, you know, schools with good facilities, students uh, from the families, the parents are, you know, ready to support them through the online learning system. And still we have those schools and students who are perhaps in the remote area, parents not ready to support them, even the schools, you know, teachers, they lack digital skills. So in, in this case, I rather look at it as challenge or challenges, okay? I think the schools, uh, the teachers, digital skills are one of the biggest uh, challenges maybe. Uh, even though you say that, okay, students are ready with equipment, with uh, computers, with um, Wi-Fi connection, etc., etc. But if the teachers, they're not ready in terms of, you know, digital skills and the comfort to use online teaching facilities, then that could lead to some obstacles, okay, or some barriers to deliver good education. So there are a mix you know, of factors that can lead to challenges in education sector due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And this may be because prior to that, we, in many countries actually, and perhaps most developing and less developed countries, we were not ready and we did not prepare for this kind of, you know, a crisis, I would say. I would use the word crisis because uh, it's really a crisis. And we did not prepare in terms of skill set of, of uh, human resources, especially in education system, right? I used to actually give some interview uh, to some Thai local medias that mm-hmm. even though those teachers or professors, they are very good at or keen on the subject that they teach, mm-hmm. but if they lack digital skills, they don't know how to use the program, they don't know how to utilize, you know, many, many applications to facilitate the classroom or the sessions, then that cannot, they cannot deliver the knowledge, you know, the thing that they are uh, good at, their expertise to students. So these are the big, you know, challenges in education system, perhaps not just in Thailand, but also in uh, some other developing developing countries. So if you want to talk about opportunities, I would also see that when we hit by pandemic 19, uh, COVID-19 pandemic, the big opportunity comes because we need to, you know, transform ourselves. Many people uh, say this, and I totally agree that COVID-19 is like a driver mm-hmm. for people and organizations to transform. And perhaps education sector, schools, especially universities, from my own experience, it's one of the organizations that perhaps we find it very, very difficult to transform compared to, you know, big corporate, private sector, or even public sector. Universities are difficult to transform, you know, professors, they are very independent, they have their own knowledge and expertise. So once you want to drive the transformation, it's not going to be easy. But COVID-19 is like something that accelerates mm. this transformation process. So I still look at this uh, pandemic as some opportunities, mm. but it's going to be the opportunities that need some mechanisms or policies, you know, or perhaps some more effort uh, to drive. But of course, it provides us a clear opportunity. Ajahn Bertha, this is interesting. When you mentioned about the um, overall situation, of pandemic um, 19, uh, the COVID pandemic 19 that happened with us is actually kind of like the big shift to our world and like you you also mentioned clearly that it's hit hard not only like uh, one certain area but like even like rich or poor country they have to face 
such a kind of crisis. When you look closer in terms of the area of education inequality, especially in the context of Thailand, you see that all those kind of like the cool system might not be like um, relevant or to be equal for our Thai students, and that's also like leading to um, those kind of like potential crisis. Because as you said, it's very interesting to see that um, those teachers are very well equipped in terms of their content of, or in terms of their expertise. That how do we make sure that like we have the digital skill to be equipped for them? So that's going to be some sort of like hand in hand for them to be able to um, kind of like tackle the crisis in this meantime. But the last point when you mentioned about the university level, that's also interesting to take note because you mentioned that like across all those kind of like sector, private sector, corporate side, the university seem to be like probably going to be a bit like difficult. To really transform, but even that, you still see some hope or some opportunity opportunity over there. Could you please elaborate more in terms of like what going to be the opportunity for the university to transform by using the the incident from the COVID 19 even that we see now as a crisis at the moment? Okay, university need to survive. Uh, even before the COVID 19 we've seen deteriorating trends of new students that enroll in universities, uh, especially at the postgraduate level and also maybe at the undergraduate level as well. And we've seen many people, many academics, many uh, professors have tried to criticize that universities around the world, around the globe, uh, has become less popular. If you compare with the past couple of decades, and that may be true if you look at the number of new students enrolled in universities across the, the world, and that's due to you know online uh, teaching programs that many universities provide, uh, some alternative education that students can actually learn some knowledge and skills outside of the class, outside universities, and I think the big question for university is. How to survive? You know, even before the COVID-19, we need to survive. We need to get you know, students, and we need to build trust for those you know outside university to trust us. When COVID-19 uh, pandemic started uh, last year, the university has to has to close, okay, due to you know some measures, lockdown measures, and that placed even more pressure on university uh, in order for them to survive. So I think this is this is the point. So in order to survive, they need to to transform. So those without skill set, both professors and other staffs, they need to try to you know learn. They need to, as you mentioned, equip them uh, themselves with you know those digital skills. So. And it's not that difficult. It's not that difficult. It's quite sim- simple, actually. It's fairly simple mm-hmm. to uh, nowadays to equip yourself with digital skill sets, uh, the basic ones, of course, not you know writing algorithm, but just uh, use some programs and and applications. So I think because of because of the situation that force or give pressures for uni- universities to survive, they need to transform and you know try to adapt themselves to situation. For those who are not comfortable with online teaching or who who always deny online teaching that they, they had to because of the lockdown okay and there are still some competitions mm-hmm. because every university lockdown regardless of big one small one science based research based teaching based whatever kind of universities all have to close due to the lockdown okay you have no choice so 
I think that is a, you know, a level playing field for university, and they have to come back to consider how they're going to transform. Equip professors and staff with digital skills, that is, of course, kind of a compulsory way to survive. And I think also one another thing that we need to rethink and perhaps reconsider very, very heavily is about the curriculum, not just the skill set, okay? I think it's, it's been proved that both school curriculum and university's curriculum in, in the past, not just in Thailand, of course, have not well enough provided the important, okay, or the essential knowledge and skills for students or for graduates to survive and become successful. That was a little bit more, you know, questionable before the COVID-19. And once we hit by the COVID-19, I think in order for graduates to survive, they need more skills and knowledge than what they have earned from universities. So I think curriculum revision is going to be another requirement for universities in particular if they're going to be and if they want to survive even the post-pandemic period. If they don't revise their curriculum to meet the demand for, for students or prospective students, if they don't provide enough skills and knowledge uh, that allow the graduates to, to become success, I think that's going to that's gonna be bad for future you know, uh, trend of university. So, but in, on the other hand, if they can provide those things, I think they can gain and build trust and students will come, come to choose to, to study in university. When you mentioned about like in order to survive, university need to be like, readjust and and you you also like mentioned studying like from the like basics in terms of like to be equipped with the digital skill and even like in the deeper level on the curriculum um, revision. So that's kind of like the speed the COVID nineteen pandemic situation is some sort of like the speed up process to help and to give us the time for university to revisit about this issue. But if we really need to give us an example to our audience in terms of like uh, if we have to be hit again by the um, crisis in the future, like for example, like the epidemic that we might need to face, what going to be some source of like your idea or like example of the new phase of the future educational institution? When we think about that, like what going to be the chi- big shift in terms of like the institution itself, the lecturer or even the learner? Do you have any like um, case study or like um, idea on that? Okay, I have my actually own uh, way of thinking in this respect. I think education system in the future will have to be based on uh, what I myself call the flexible education. Uh, so by, by flexible education, I mean education institutions like schools, universities, they have to be flexible and add another word. They would have to be more resilient, okay? So flexible and resilient. So in order to be able to deal with the future crisis, as you mentioned, and I totally agree with you on this point, that in the future, I don't know, maybe three, five years, 10 years, or maybe 20 years from now on, you know, uh, we might also be hit by a new wave of crisis, which we don't know yet what it's going to be. But if you can provide the flexible education system, you know, with online facilities ready all the time, you know, with uh, professors and staff who have plenty of skills to deal with, you know, different forms of education, you know, can be at home, can be in class, and also with curriculum, as I mentioned, that provide content for them to deal with crisis. Mm -hmm. Of course, we always 
deny the method of memorizing, okay, which mm. has been in higher education system for quite a long time. And we, change, we try to change that into uh, something that they can apply and adjust the knowledge. They have analytical skills. Back in the year 2015, actually, World Economic Forum has initiated the lifelong learning skills, which include a lot of skills that, you know, critical thinking, problem solving, you know, communication, um, leadership, okay, curiosity, and things like that, you know, uh, creativity. These are the skills that I think we need to try to place as the goal or the achievement of students. Knowledge, they can find it you know, 24-7 outside of the classroom, but skills, something that universities need to provide. And when I mention something about outside of the classroom learning, and that is going to be something that university has to place more importance and emphasis on. We have seen very clearly and obviously that during the past year also, students have utilized what I call the outside of the classroom learning quite a lot, okay? Um, when we, as professors, we assign them some assignments and things like that, they can, you know, use internet and, of course, try to gather a lot of knowledge and information. What we need to guide them or facilitate them is the skills or the experience that they should gain throughout the years in education system. But also, as I, as I mentioned, they should be able to have the skill to, to do the outside classroom learning. So the, according to your response and also, like, I mean, like some sorts of good idea about are we going to really like shift toward the new phase of future education those kind of like the new phenomenon of the like flexible education the resilient institution and uh, that's going to be some sort of like the, an, a must item that like university need to keep in mind in order to face or deal with the potential p- pandemic um, crisis that might happen in the future and I also really like the idea when you mentioned about all those kind of like the new skill set like issued by the World Economic Forum in terms of all those soft skills that's actually going to be some sort of the replacement and also help to re- for us to rethink in terms of like those like old paradigm of like rem- memorizing a study method. So that's going to be something that like really will help to give the hands-on and application for our student and for our learner now and also to be ready for the future. Thank you for that, Ajahn. Let's move on um, to the next question. When we look at this like pandemic crisis um, in the context of education, and if we need to like apply the sufficient economy philosophy or the SEP in order to dealing with the situation, especially in the ter- in terms of crisis, or even like try to create the potential immunity for the educational system, what is your idea about that? Okay, when talking about the sufficiency economy uh, or sufficiency economy philosophy, I think we need to address it, you know, more importantly and really try to put the emphasis on adding, you know, the real knowledge and understanding of sufficiency economy in the school and university curriculum. And of course, I totally agree with the point that this philosophy can really build immunity. And when I mention about the word flexible education, when I mention about the term resilient education, actually it's in line with the teaching of sufficiency economy philosophy. So first, let, let me repeat this once again. So first thing, I think schools and universities have to, you know, place more emphasis on really, you know, educating students in Thailand with the understanding of, of the SEP or the sufficiency economy philosophy. Because if we won't really want to, to utilize the sufficiency economy, people will really have to understand first. From my own experience, there may be, you know, some, even in Thailand, some people that do not really understand or misunderstand this concept, okay? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a role of, of universities and schools 
to try to educate, to try to make people uh, in Thailand and across the world to really understand what the sufficiency economy philosophy is. And also the administrators, executives in education sector, uh, if they can apply the, the SEP into the management of you know universities and education, I'm quite sure that when we build more immunity, okay, when we hit by the crisis, then we got, we're going to be fine, of course, or not hit hard. For example, let me give you a quick example. When we talk about moderation, okay, when we talk about moderation, which is one of the main principles of the sufficiency economy, mm-hmm. moderation may, may mean to me, well, in terms of, you know, going online or not online. Extremists would say that I will prefer 100% offline. I will only teach in the classroom. And another extreme would say I will go for 100% online teaching. I, I, I hate going to the classroom. But when you talk about moderation in the teaching of, you know, SEP, you might be somewhere in the middle, which means you are very flexible okay when there is no crisis when the schools reopen you can comfortably go to teach in the class and once you know there are you know a new wave of covid or whatever mm-hmm. crisis that hit the economy or society you can immediately work from home teach from home and then a very comfortable using facilities or being being ready at home this is just one example that i can bring up very quickly in terms of moderation so if education sector people they have this kind of you know principle being being moderate, then they can go, they can fit in the flexible education system that I mentioned earlier very easily. That's interesting to take note that like all those like sufficient economy philosophy that you mentioned, when we think about the context of the university or in the education sector, it actually can be blended easily into the um, education and also even like in the management system that you mentioned earlier. I care, like, can see the real actual concrete example when you mentioned about the case of the uh, moderation as part of the SEP in order to really implement the flexible education to be more tangible. So it's those kind of people who implement or using this kind of SEP into their life or to, into their work so they can be more flexible either whether or not like the pandemic going to come or the crisis going to come. They will be able to, to go for both sides and adjust themselves to be ready for the coming crisis. That's very interesting, Ajahn. Thank you for sharing that. But if we go like deeper in terms of like the level especially like you work for the university at NIDA. In the past, have you seen any like application of SEP in terms of our like, education system or even in terms of like the specific content or application? What area that actually that sh- that's already changed and has already ap- happened when we try to think about the in the perspective of like educational institution, instructor or even the student? Okay, uh, that is a good question. I, I would say I would love to see more emphasis of the, the teaching of sufficiency economy uh, philosophy and boost up the real understanding okay throughout the nation or the nationwide from the very you know young age of students to the university level i would give you maybe one another example that if it can be applied more okay in my own opinion maybe it's, it's not enough yet let me give you another example. Talking about uh, immunity, self-immunity, which is one another main principle in the sufficiency economy philosophy. You see that when we hit by COVID-19 pandemic, that is one more thing that also hit our society. That is called the fake news. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have seen it 
perhaps every single day, fake news in terms of you know health issues, fake news in terms of you know uh, economic issues, in terms of political issues, fake news, you know every everything. Okay, and if you can equip students or even professors and you know academic um, academic staffs, if you can equip them with self immunity, they're gonna survive this world more comfortably and more safely. Many people believe uh, the fake news so easily, especially when we are in the, the age of social media where we can share any piece of information or news by just one or two clicks. Okay, mm-hmm. if you try to, if you learn, I think if you learn and you understand the SEP well enough, then you will be more reasonable. Okay, and one reasonableness is another, you know, main component, main principle in SEP. And once you become more reasonable. I think you can think of okay, recheck the information, recheck uh, whether the news that we receive is fake or not before you sharing it. I call this self immunity. Uh, universities nowadays, in my own uh, way of thinking, I don't believe in only teaching them knowledge and skills. Okay, mm-hmm. so knowledge and skills are very important, as I mentioned earlier. Very very important skills like. Well, we mentioned earlier creativity, problem solving, critical thinking, leadership, communication. That's going to lead them to to success. But mm-hmm. sufficiency economy philosophy go further, go beyond that. You know, knowledge and skill thing that I mentioned. Sufficiency economy also try to become like a goalkeeper or gatekeeper. If we compare to a football team, you only don't you know attack the opponent. But you try to defend your team as well, right? Mm-hmm. When you have knowledge and skills in the real world, it's like you have a striker in a football team. You can attack and score a goal. But sometimes you hit by, you know, your opponent. They attack us. We need to defend. Mm-hmm. So sufficiency economy try to, you know, address us that. Okay, you have to be aware of you know, many many things that will come to us and try to teach us that. We need to have self self immunity, and in the digital world, in the world of social media, we need really need to have this kind of of immunity. Otherwise, you know, we can be trapped in uh, many fake news or in perhaps in many bad situations. So your point on integrating the SEP into the education system is kind of like on both sides in terms of the, the horizontal side and also the deeper side. You still want to see like the to propose like shouldn't be more in terms of like the SEP study in the nationwide as well as like to be kind of like to deal with the ongoing situation that happened at the moment, especially the case on the fake news. I think right now. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We face those kind of thing kind of like on a daily basis, and the cell immunity is going to be some sort of very big thing that we, if we can e- really equip with our like um, not only young generation but even like the adult or like senior citizen to make sure that there will be some sort of like the another layer for them to rethink about the thing that they should share in the social media world or to like other people to avoid those kind of understanding as well as the case on the football field. Wow, that's something that kind of like uh, really help us to see the how do we complement the SEP uh, content to our ongoing knowledge and skill that we need to equip with. Our student like kind of like go beyond or go further to make sure that those kind of like um layer gonna help to really uh, make the student and learner to be more like resilient or to be more ready for the potential like crisis that we may face in the future. Thank you, Ajahn, for sharing that. But when we look at the SEP as a tool. 
as some sort of the equipped tool in order to really equip that and also integrate that or blend it to the our educational system effectively. What's going to be the way or how do we need to do that or how we are going to use the principle to ensure creating the immunization to our educational system? Could you please share in terms of your idea and also the case study related to this issue? Okay, I, I definitely agree to the point that, you know, sufficiency economy philosophy, if uh, we practice it, you know, we practice it very often or regularly, it will help us, you know, to go through several crises, not just the financial crisis, but also any pandemic or economic crisis in the future. There are many things I want to address to this question, many issues. Let me try to, you know, make the sequence become smooth so that people can understand. Sure, you, you have time but, 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 but first of all, I think uh, one thing that, that we miss, okay, very, very big miss during the last year that we started to try to have the lockdown measure is we did not address the importance of the of the SEP well enough, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, many people try to, even though, uh, even the Thai government, okay, mm-hmm. they have come up with uh, several policies, you know, uh, fiscal, monetary policies, economic policies to uh, try to, of course, boost the economy and, you know, try to help people who are in trouble because of the lockdown measures. But one thing that perhaps we've missed is to address the importance of the sufficiency economy uh, philosophy, okay? And as I mentioned the word regularly, uh, the practice of this SEP regularly will help us, uh, in my own opinion. Mm-hmm. If you say you hit by the crisis, you have a bad day, you have a bad life now, you start using the SEP today, that means it's not going to be like, you know, a magical medicine, okay, mm-hmm. a magic pill that you take in one day and then you recover uh, the mm-hmm. day after. But you have to keep practicing this philosophy regularly and for for some time, okay? Mm-hmm. For example... For those who are unemployed and who are, you know, affected economically, financially by the COVID-19, okay, they're going to survive, okay, if they had discipline to save money, not to spend too much, okay? When, when you spend too much, what happens? Once you uh, don't have income and you, you used to spend a lot and perhaps you did not have any savings and plus you have some, some debt to repay or installment to repay every, every month, in this case, you can, you know, uh, you're going to be suffered a lot. But mm-hmm. if you understand the sufficiency economy philosophy and you practice your lifestyle prior to the crisis because you don't know exactly when the crisis is going to come. But if you are the person who always will spend more than your ability uh, to pay or to repay, and once you're going to hit, and once you're being hit by the crisis, that's going to be very, uh, very hard, right? So once we understand this kind of thing, I, I want all of us to, to think about practicing it regularly, okay? No, and also not to one extreme. In education, if we can teach this kind of thing, okay, to, to students from the very young age, that's going to help them. Uh, I think a lot. And for the organization itself, for the institutions itself, like schools, you know, or university, I think when you apply, as I mentioned, the moderation, the reasonableness, okay, and also the self-immunization uh, or self-immunity into the practice of, you know, curriculum, curriculum writing, the way you teach students, okay, the way you assign or assess students or assign them some work. If you do it regularly from the past, that's going to, that's going to, you know, help them to have immunity automatically you know we cannot really appreciate or uh, utilize this if no one has emphasized only saying that SAP is good only saying that okay let's go to study SAP I don't think it's enough mm-hmm. but you really need to practice 
you really need to do it. You really need to bring this philosophy to come in, you know, into your your own life. You know, you do it for yourself. You teach your your children. You know, you bring it to your own organizations. Okay, at the faculty level, at the university level, at the school level. I think that the key word is to to practice it, not just to to saying or or to reading it. So in order to practice that, actually, well, for us as a resident, learn. So when we need to see first with the crisis later, we really need to bring the SEP into the front line to really as our like tactical policy to deal with such a crisis and challenge. And I do like the idea when you mentioned about that when we talk about SEP, we actually think about we can start teaching or actually learning since very young or with our young generation. And in order to do that to be more effectively. Actually, all those kind of like SEP perspective shouldn't be practiced, and you can do it by yourself. You share it to your like other generation, to your children, or even like bring it to to the organization. I think those kind of like the idea that you mentioned gonna be some sort of like a tip and like practical uh, practice that like our audience can use and refer to for their like daily life. Thank you for sharing that. 